Good day. This is Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Kristoff. Thanks for listening. This is the 113th edition of the show. On the broadcast today, I'm going to be featuring a conversation I had with Michael Zhang, who is the author of an article about the legacy of John Redpath. People who live in Montreal, in Canada, would recognize the name Redpath Sugar. There's been a lot of critical conversation about the legacies of colonial economic giants like James McGill, the founder of McGill University, and the ties between McGill and enslavement and colonial economics, the colonization of indigenous territories, and complicity in British imperialism and the whole colonial system throughout Turtle Island. I recently had a conversation with some friends about Redpath and the legacy of Redpath Sugar, and I searched online for some articles that could outline any research that has happened about the connections between Redpath and the colonial Caribbean, where sugarcane was produced in the context of the 19th century, where enslavement was the foundation for the labor force that produced sugarcane for global sugar industries. It was clear that at the time, a colonial economic figure like John Redpath would have connections to the Caribbean sugar commodity production, which of course depended on the enslavement of African people. I found an article by Michael Zhang that is called The Life of John Redpath, a neglected legacy and its rediscovery through print materials. And basically through this text, we see an exploration of a critical look at John Redpath's colonial practices, both in terms of links to Caribbean sugarcane production and through that um, the support for the enslavement of black African workforces that were at the basis of sugarcane production. And of course, Redpath also oversaw a lot of aspects of the construction of the Lachine Canal, which uh, created the economic frameworks in a physical sense for the shipping of such commodities that were produced in the context of enslavement. Of course, we know that with the construction of Lachine Canal, many, many workers lost their lives also so this is a conversation to look critically at John Redpath, and I really was happy to get a chance to speak with Michael Zhang. Here's our conversation. Well, yeah, I guess, first of all, you know, thanks so much for doing this uh, exchange. And, you know, um, I just was really interested in, in your text about Redpath because there has been, fortunately, some conversation about McGill and his connections to both enslavement within his own space of living, you know, and then also how McGill's investments are connected to like broader systems of injustice, um, commodity production in the Caribbean around sugar shipping, transatlantic slave trade. So these were sort of the points within which I reached out to you. 
um, big topics. But first, I just want to say thank you for being here. And if you could briefly introduce yourself um, to our listeners. Yeah, thank you, Stefan. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. And I do appreciate this opportunity to talk about these themes. Um, I think they're very important themes and they've been overlooked in Canadian history. Um, so before I get into further details, I just want to say that I am calling in from Burnaby, British Columbia, and I would like to acknowledge that I am on the ancestral and unceded homelands of the Hokumalem and Squamish-speaking peoples. So I am currently a PhD student in art history at Princeton University in New Jersey, and I specialize in African art. I'm interested in the intersections of art and politics and economics. This paper that I wrote about Red Path came out of a seminar um, that I took at McGill University, um, which was taught by Professor Charmaine Nelson, who was an art history professor, who is now the director of um, the Institute of Canadian Slavery um, the Institute for the Study of Canadian Slavery at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. Um, and I can get into uh, more details about how that uh, seminar functioned and what um, the process was um, later on, if you like. Um, the article that you wrote, you know, goes into detail about Red Pass as a as a person and you know his specific investments within commodity production and also just sort of like decoding where wealth comes from right you know and and maybe just in follow-up if you could talk a bit about the process around the article but also why you chose that topic because people will still see today red past sugar um you know as they at, at one time saw the name mcgill but maybe hadn't understood sort of the legacies of colonial economics that are tied to these names. So if you could just sort of underline why this topic was important for you, and maybe just if you could start with one point about Red Path that you feel it's important for people to consider. I think what was important for me um, about this article was uncovering the multiple ways in which the legacies of slavery and exploited labor are still very enmeshed within our social fabric. Um, so I think I should start by talking a little bit about Red Path and his biography and um, giving more context to his enterprises. So Red Path Sugar is considered one of the most important companies in Canadian history in that it arguably kickstarted the process of industrialization in Montreal. And it was founded in 1854 by Red Path, who is remembered today as this pioneering industrialist in Canada. But if we take a closer look at his biography and his business ventures, then the narrative becomes darker and more complex. So Red Path was born in Scotland in 1796 and he emigrated to Canada when he was 20 years old. In his early career, he was known for his part in the construction of the Lachine Canal, which was completed in 1825. 
And this canal was important in the history of Montreal in that it provided a way to bypass the Lachine Rapids in the St. Lawrence River. And this in turn helped facilitate trade between Montreal and the rest of the world. So the Lachine Canal opened in 1825. Slavery formally ended in the British colonies in 1833 and in the United States in 1865 and not until 1888 in Brazil. So the Lachine Canal facilitated the trade of goods to and from Montreal during a period in which the transatlantic trade was the dominant form of you know, global economic framework. So later in his career, Red Path built a sugar factory on the banks of the Lachine Canal, and this was in 1854, and this became the basis of what we know today as the Red Path Sugar Company. Again, you know, Red Path Sugar was operating during a time when the, trans the transatlantic trade was the dominant economic structure. And in the British West Indies, where the raw sugar canes were grown and harvested, the workers on the islands were laboring under bondage. Even after Britain formally abolished slavery in its colonies in 1833. Many of the formerly enslaved workers still worked without wages. They were given only food and shelter in exchange for their labor. At the same time, additional workers were being brought from other parts of the world um, to the Caribbean as indentured laborers. And within the Caribbean plantation system, the working conditions were harsh and abuse was rampant. Workers were subject to being whipped and flogged and subjected to all sorts of varying torture devices as forms of punishment. So the sugar industry relied on the exploitation of labor, and it was an industry built upon violence and trauma, and Red Path was implicit in this as the proprietor of a Canadian sugar company that imported raw sugar cane, and it was through the exploitation and abuse of labor embodied in this form, in, in this commodity, that made Red Path incredibly wealthy. And so I think for me, the idea was to explore more about these connections. And, you know, I think what I learned from Charmaine Nelson is that the legacies of slavery are still very much embedded in the quotidian things um, in, in uh, society. And that was really the focal point um, in which I pursued this research. I really appreciated highlighting both Red Pass investment and the construction of the Lachine Canal and investments and complicity within the commodity production of sugarcane within the colonial context in the Caribbean that depended on enslavement. Also just to think that in the construction of the Lachine Canal, so many workers died. We don't know their names. Um, and a lot of indentured laborers also in the, in the context of that construction. So we, we hear these names of the investors and sort of the legacy is constructed on those names, but there's very little recognition of the injustice. Um, when we think about these names, I, I just, I guess maybe it'd be interesting to underline this point is, decoding the names, right? Because your article does that. Um, 
and um, I wasn't aware of the connection to the Lachine Canal with Red with Red Path in any detail. So thank you for sharing that. But why is it so critical to decode these names? Um, because you know, as you mentioned, and and thank you for highlighting that. When we walk in a shop, a corner store, we see these products, right? And they're still named after individuals who are so intrinsically involved in systemic violence. I think scholarship is great at digging deep and asking questions and trying to investigate the history of why things are the way they are. But I think one of the most crucial parts to scholarship is to recover and hear stories from multiple voices, from multiple perspectives. And it's only by engaging with this diverse array of perspectives that we get the full picture, that we get closer to the truth. And I think in this case, it's particularly important to try to recover the voices and to read against the grain, to um, recover, as you, as you mentioned, the alighted names and the alighted histories, um, and to reveal the ways in which this legacy of the exploitation of labor and this intertwinement with the transatlantic um, trade is still enmeshed within our institutions and our systemic structures um, in contemporary society. Thanks so much for highlighting that clearly. I think there's an interesting tension that comes up here in terms of the process around scholarship and the process around social activism, right? Uh, there's often sort of a discourse that disconnects the two. And I think your article on Red Path really outlines how scholarship can provide a part of the process of challenging these injustice, uh, these points of injustice, uh, both historically, but how they manifest in the present. I'd be really interested in hearing your reflections about the, that tension and also just pathways or possibilities of finding um, ways that those two processes, um, you know, research and digging deep, as you said, but also the critical importance of action in the contemporary moment, how those two processes can complement each other. I owe a lot of what I do and the ways in which um, I conduct research to Charmaine Nelson. I think she did an incredible job in the seminar and her career as an educator to really challenge her students to think about the ways um, in which things are set up. And so I want to go back to the seminar that I took. It was about the visual legacies of slavery in Canada. And the premise, the premise of this seminar is that um, within the discourse of slavery, Canada has largely been missing. You know, we talk about the institution of slavery in Europe, the Caribbean, and the United States and Latin America. But very rarely do we talk about Canada's role as a slaveholding nation. And in the discourse, um, if Canada is mentioned, it's often in a favorable light, in the sense that, you know, we were the end destination of fugitive slaves seeking freedom um, via the Underground Railroad. So there's, there's this being, there, there has been this revisionist history and this alleging of the slaveholding history um, of our country. So I think it's important that we are aware 
of the legacies of that and how it's still implicit um, today. And the way to do that is to be cognizant about objects and histories and stories and to trace where they came from, their movements, their biographies, and to see how they were part of these currents that um, very much tied the movement of people and objects um, to a global system. Some scholars have argued that the transatlantic trade was the start of the Anthropocene, that it was the moment in which you know, you start to have tangible impacts, man-made impacts on the world through the movement of um, goods and people across the globe. So I think the system was such a prevalent force, it was so dominant, and it can be recovered by close looking, by critical thinking, and I think by trying to illuminating um, trying to illuminate this history, we start to understand how these structures were formed and how um, they still exist and how they can um, still be, um, how they still function within the um, existing social fabric of you know, contemporary society today. Really appreciate hearing uh, all those reflections. Um, just maybe one last point, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe one last point. Um, that scholarship that you talked about, um, it's interesting to think about the fact that at McGill in the last few years, for example, the Black Student Network, many of whom, at least the members, had a relationship with a professor like Charmaine Nelson, for example, um, who you've so accurately lifted up as an awesome scholar. Um, They've been holding actions around not Red Path, which you've talked about, but around the legacy of James McGill. Um, but a lot of those actions are tied to research that people have done. So, yeah, just any reflections on how that type of research can can inform and play a role in in that type of of action within the public space. McGill University owes its establishment to its benefactor, James McGill, who was active in the fur trade and who was factually a slave owner. So the institution of slavery is very much intertwined with this institution of higher learning. And I think we need to recognize that there are certain values within McGill that have been there since the beginning and the institution has been operating systemically in ways that favor certain groups of people over others and that there have been groups historically um, been oppressed and silenced and unwelcomed in McGill. I think it is a very tough thing to be a student within an institution that you recognize um, as an institution that owes its very existence to the legacies of slavery.
in moving forward, I think the process needs to be transparent. Um, it needs to be inclusive. It has to consider the voices and perspectives of everybody who wants to have a say. And moving forward, it needs to break down the systemic barriers and these implicit power dynamics and hierarchies that have been in place for, you know, for the university's entire existence to grapple with its dark histories and to provide a space in which people could feel inclusive and feel heard. And it is only through that then can the university really start to make amends for its origin story. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. That was a conversation with historian Michael Zhang. We were talking about an article he wrote a number of years ago called The Life of John Redpath, A Neglected Legacy and Its Rediscovery Through Print Materials. Uh, this, of course, is a critical take on the underreported legacy of Redpath as linked to the production of sugarcane in the Caribbean that was produced, of course, within the context of a workforce that was enslaved. And so looking critically at these figures, uh, Redpath, we heard also about McGill. This is a very important um, historical reckoning that is happening and looking into the figures and the names of this colonial period is something that I will continue to do here on Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christophe in Montreal. This program is broadcast on CKUT 90.3 FM on Wednesdays at 11. It is broadcast also on CJLO 1690 AM here also in GeoGeage on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. And it is broadcast in Winnipeg on CKUW at 8 a.m. on Tuesdays and on CFRC in Kingston, Ontario at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays. You can find us through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search Free City Radio. All our archives are up at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again to Michael Zhang for being on the program this week. And to go out on the program today, I'm going to be featuring a piece of music from Marcus Floats from the release called Third Album. I'll talk to you soon and take care.
Thank you.